It makes sense that John would say, in the beginning was the Word. We're talking about the deity of God. The desire for spiritual growth through Christ-mindedness. Insights on biblically inspired faith consciousness and how the virtue of Christ helps us relate to the world around us. Welcome to the Spiritual Renewal Podcast with your host, George Vasquez. So we're starting now with our study in John. John calls himself in this book the uh, Beloved Disciple. But we're opening the book uh, at the first chapter and in the first verse, a very well-known verse, popular verse. I'm wondering now, trying to get into John's mind, how is it that he came and by inspiration of God and what were his feelings when he began to pen these words in the beginning? I think that he probably was thinking along the lines of reference that he'd had from Genesis. In Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, the very first chapter of the Bible, we have the same reference where God says, in the beginning. That is a really great point of reference. What is the beginning? And when we say in the beginning, then we're saying creator, creation. We're talking about everything. In Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God. In John, it says, in the beginning was the Word. And then there's spirit involved. Anybody ever see the movie Firefox? If you haven't seen the movie, uh, what he does is he goes to steal this Russian MiG, right, to bring to the United States so they can study it and figure it out. But the reason they picked him as a pilot is because he's fluent in Russian. And in order for him to fly this MiG, he has to put a helmet on and, the, and he has to think in the thoughts of Russian for the plane to operate. It's one of those kind of cognitive things that they use in neuroscience to help to guide the plane and steer the plane and do all those things that these uh, pilots like to do. There's a cognition that goes on in the mind. And it's something that occurs with words. When you go to think, any conscious moment that you have, you're going to think in words. Those words are going to make up pictures. Some of us have some very vivid imaginations, of course. But there's descriptions there, and there's a certain vocabulary that helps us to communicate. So there's this idea of communication. In the beginning was God. In Genesis, it says, by the spoken word, all things came into existence. God says, if you really want to communicate or to understand Him, the first thing is to have the Word. A very spiritual process. And it all involves God. It makes sense that John would say, in the beginning was the Word. Because that is what our connection is to God. It's a very personal connection. 
The words that we're thinking, it's consciousness and spiritual. Now, there's some weird way out stuff going on uh, in terms of the emerging church or uh, new age theology uh, revolving around this consciousness. Also, Hinduism in terms of enlightenment. You sit down and you meditate transcendentally to astral project your consciousness out there and be... Okay. Whoa, whoa. Whoa, take it easy. It's not like that. God says, I have the Word for you. The message is here. It's in His Word. And He goes on, He says, and the Word was with God from the very beginning. And then He goes on, and the Word was God. There's huge significance here. Huge. It shows the, you know, you think about God manifesting Himself in the flesh and dying for your sins. That's an act of humility that goes beyond comprehension. That's very, very big. The saddest part about that is that there are some people that don't believe that. They have the idea that Jesus was a created being. That Jesus was not God. And that's like bordering on blasphemy. It's blasphemy. It's very tough to be a good student of God. Methetius. Methetius is a Greek word for disciple. The word disciple means pupil or learner or student. So when we say that we are disciples, we say we're going to be good learners, good students, good pupils, and we're going to figure this out. And not take someone else's word for it. That, and you know, there's a lot to that. Uh, because this verse, in some areas, is very controversial. Now, with regard to the Jehovah's Witnesses, their translations is different. One interesting thing about the New World Translation is there's, if you open to the front of your Bible, I mean, if you got a study Bible, You'll see in there, and it's going to give you a list of all of those scholars that contributed to uh, the translation committee of that particular uh, translation. And their names are there. And you can take those names and you can research them and find out who these individuals are, what their educational background is, everything about them, how the council was put together. King James was the one of, one of those that put together a council and all of those people are named, and you, you can... Yeah, it's, there you go, right there. There you go, all the contributors, all the different ones. And it's very interesting reading if you have a... Mine is pretty lengthy, uh, like about six pages. And, and yeah, and they'll tell you exactly how they got these guys together and what method they used for translating from Greek and everything else like that. The New World Translation, guess what? All anonymous. 
What is it that they're trying to hide? Why don't they go out and say, these are the guys that we use to translate the Scripture? <laughs> After a little bit of digging, I found out a guy named Hans Gruber. Hans Gruber, uh, back in, I don't know, I forget the years. It's back in 60s, the very early 60s, late 50s. You know, and he's the one that was very instrumental in developing uh, certain passages in the New World Translation, John 1.1 in particular. So if you go to read John 1.1 in the New World Translation, here's what you'll read. You'll see, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a... And small g, little g, God. A God. And you know, I think we should really understand why that, that happened. Part of it has to do with this guy, Gruber. He, it turns out that he claimed supernatural guidance um, as he translated with his wife, acting as a spirit medium. To that point, the text that he translated, John 1.1. 1, 1. Uh, needed to be corrected by divine spirits. Here's the point. Why is it that out of all of these translations, only one translation, the New World Translation, translates it a God? That's my first question. Don't you think that someone else would have picked up on this grammatical error and also put a God in it? Why didn't they do it? Is because this satan, this guy's satanic. Hans Gruber. He's dealing with spiritism and he's helping Jehovah's Witnesses translate their Bible. It's on their website. You can go straight to JW's website and they will, and they will tell you about it. Just six years after exposing Gruber as a spiritist, here's Jehovah's Witnesses exposing him as a spiritist. And then six years later, the society acts as if they never did such a thing. And instead, they reveal Gruber as a much-needed Bible scholar in support of their own New World Translation, especially the rendering of John 1.1. You see what Satan is trying to do? It doesn't stop there. Here's some more evidence. What they're talking about is Theos... In this, in this Bible, Theos means God. In their translation, rendering John 1-1, a God, then why didn't they also change all 266 occurrences of the Greek article that is shown in the New Testament? Why didn't they change them all to a God? They only picked that one. Because it supports their doctrine, that's why. This would mean that there are only, if you mathematically you figure it out, this would mean that they're only 6% consistent with their translation, or in other words, they're 94% dishonest. Bottom line. It's not a good translation. Pick any other translation, not the New World Translation. Okay, it's corrupted, corrupted manuscripts, and it has cultic origins. Cultic origins. God is Jesus. Jesus is Yahweh. The English word Jehovah is not necessarily an accurate representation of God's name. It's close. Yahweh is closer to that. Because uh, what a guy did was uh, not too long ago, 100, 150 years ago, 
he got the words Adonai and the word Yahweh, and he used the the uh, vowels from Adonai and and put them into the consonants of of Yahweh, and came up with Jehovah. So it's a man-made name. It's not something that was that's original. It's the word Jehovah, but Yahweh is the original. Yeshua is the original. Close as we can get it to the original tra uh, translation. So that's why you don't hear in Christian churches the name Jehovah very often. And if you do hear them use the name Jehovah, then what's happening there is they don't have a clear understanding of where that name came from. Most accurately, it would be pronounced Yahweh. So Yahweh is a very uh, clear and accurate representation of the, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Anywhere you look in Scripture. So it, it's very important then. See, you see how important it is to be a good disciple? A good disciple? There was someone that said, you know, some people know enough Greek to be dangerous, but not enough Greek to be knowledgeable. You know, there's a certain, you know, there's certain things, like for instance, this particular area of Scripture that's very useful. And if you run into one of Jehovah's Witnesses, you could say, hey, what about this? Can you explain that? Or maybe this will help you to understand better. But the fact of the matter is that the, the publications uh, throughout the Watchtower Bible Tract Society have all been, uh, they're tainted. They're full of all of these discrepancies, biblical discrepancies, because of their own New World Translation. They cannot prove their doctrine with any other translation. You understand? And I know that uh, the word Trinity is not mentioned in the Holy Scriptures. You don't find it. It was something that came along during a uh, council meeting, and they decided to use the term Trinity so that everybody could be on the same page. When someone said Trinity, everyone knew that they were talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And so that was the term that was used that was re that would relate to all three of those characteristics of God, the accretion of what God really is in terms of His being. It's just a beautiful thing, and we'll go into more things about doctrine, but it's also a good for a Bible student to understand what doctrine is. Doctrine is nothing more than a principle that's formally stated that has some authority and validity in it. And in this case, uh, principally in the Bible. So a good Mathetius uh, would uh, be making sure that he's got his Bible doctrine in the correct form and that it's not uh, tainted by any other kinds of means. Good exegesis is what it's called. Uh, you analyze a passage, you dig deep into the passage, understand the meaning of the words. There's so many good things that a good Bible student should be doing. And all for what? Oh, wow, I could tell you, man. Uh, this has tremendous implications upon our lives. Because we're uh, what we're regarding here in terms of uh, the application of John 1.1 uh, is something that is so deep and touching and so uh, outstanding in terms of what God has done for us personally in our lives. It's huge. Uh, we don't just get... The, John 1.1 will give you not just a, a bigger desire to dig more and understand more. It won't just do that. But you know what it's going to do? It's going to exalt 
Jesus Christ. It's going to lift Him high. We're talking about the deity of God. This is something that is rejected by some other religions. The Pharisees got it. Why do you think they crucified Christ? Because He was claiming to be equal to God. That's why they put Him to death. And, you know, to reject that... Con you know, so many people... It exalts Jesus Christ to the stature that you, we recognize Him in the position of that lowered form of God the Almighty that has humbled Himself in the human form to take on the sins of the world. And that is big. And uh, also, by digging into John 1 in the fashion that we did, it helps us to be able to take a stand for what we truly do believe. We believe that Jesus is God. And as long as we believe that, then we should be able to explain it too. And, and, and tell others and share that with others because that's part of our faith. you know. And it also helps us to uh, be more serious about what we believe, you know, and understand what we believe on a deeper level. So I think so oftentimes we say, oh yeah, I believe in the Trinity. And that's the thing, you know, with Jehovah's Witnesses, it's, it's all talk. It really is. Nobody likes to, you know, confront other people on our beliefs. Sometimes it's a very difficult thing and, uh, emotions can, rise and elevate. If we can come together under the groundwork that the deity of God has meaning for us in our lives, then I think that uh, we're, we would be able to express our opinions you know, in a civilized manner. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if you have a certain opinion, it's okay to talk about it, even if you disagree. At least you can begin by agreeing to disagree. And from there, you have a groundwork because we do believe in Jesus Christ and we do believe in the Creator God and we do believe in the Holy Spirit. And so we should be ready to take our stand for what we believe. That has to do with what we think in terms of words because it says in the beginning was the Word and what's going through our mind and how we study so that we can know God better, we can trust Him and most importantly, that we can exalt Him where He belongs and not diminish the capacity in it like some churches may try to aspire to do. There's so much more, you know, and we can go on and on, and there's a, quite a few verses that support the concept. I mean, there's other places in the Bible, and one of the main thing a good student wants to do is he wants to uh, compare... Scripture with Scripture. The, the first one that kicked me off in this study is 1 John chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. And it says very plainly, for there are three that bear a reference in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. It doesn't get any clearer I'm sorry, Jehovah's Witnesses, that's what the Bible says at 1 John chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. And there's so many other places in Scripture that make reference to it. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 51, the whole first chapter is what we're talking about. It's, it's explaining and helping us to understand 
the deity of God Himself. First Peter chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. And then further down, even in John chapter 10, verses 30 through 36, Jesus goes on and he goes into a wonderful discourse that talks about how he and his father are one. So what we're talking about the Godhead, the oneness, the unity be in the community of Jesus, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit and all being in that wonderful union together. So we're understanding that on a better level uh, because they express, each one of those expresses a different attribute of God Himself. And what a wonderful uh, thing it is to be able to have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior tonight. Amen. Amen. Pastor George, thanks. If you like the show, just include us in your feed. Subscribe and turn on notifications for updates. Visit us at virtueeffects.com. At virtue, no L, and effect, all one word, dot com.